We are very possibly living in the era of the greatest Supreme Court bench in American history. That has been true, that we are very possibly in that era, since last year's decision in Dobbs, which overruled the single worst decision in American history, Roe v. Wade. But the claim has now gotten some strong backup since yesterday, the Supreme Court of the United States struck down affirmative action, racial discrimination in college admissions. And as a cherry on top, the exact losing party was the liberal lunatics over at Harvard. That was just that, just a little L for Harvard was just a right on top of this otherwise totally beautiful case. Already totally beautiful case. The case was for students for fair admissions incorporated versus president and fellows of Harvard College. And the court ruled six to three that race-based admissions programs at Harvard and UNC violate the equal protection clause of the 14th amendment. Chief Justice Roberts joined the conservatives and wrote for the court, quote, eliminating racial discrimination means eliminating all of it. I know that conservatives are supposed to whine and complain and constantly lament the end of the world. But this Supreme Court, thanks to three judges appointed by one president, one president who was improbably elected after all the smart set political geniuses said hope was lost, he didn't have a chance, 99% chance the Democrat was going to win. Well, this Supreme Court that exists only as a result of all those things happening has officially and significantly changed the course of American history for the better. Just when conservatives were inclined to give up hope, we remember an important lesson heading into 4th of July weekend. A verse of a very important song that very often gets left out of the singing. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just. And this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. It's a good day, folks. It's good. We got to celebrate the wins when we get them. And to celebrate, we'll do something a little special and fun. Something that I usually only reserve for the creme de la creme, the inner circle, the beurre de la beurre, the real, you know, the real members. We're going to do it at the end of the show. It's Fake Headline Friday. We'll get to that in just a bit. First, though, this case, Students for Fair Admissions Incorporated versus President Fellows of Harvard College. What is this group? This is a group that said that uh, they were unfairly discriminated against in the admissions processes at Harvard and UNC. And the group pointed to the high test scores of Asian students and white applicants who were rejected. If the case were only brought by white students, it would have gone nowhere because we live at a time, well, I guess this has just changed. We live at a time where you had widespread de jure racial discrimination against white people. And we still live in a time where the only group that you were allowed to and encouraged socially to attack and insult and malign and mock is white people. So if it had only been white students who were affected here, I don't think the case really would have gone very far. 
but the libs made a big mistake. They got a little sloppy and they discriminated against Asians too. And Asians can claim the mantle of uh, discriminated against oppressed minority. And so this exposed some of the incoherence of the affirmative action regime. After the civil rights movement, the black civil rights movement in the 1960s, a lot of other groups on the left realized that they could try to mimic the civil rights movement uh, of black people who have a unique role in American history because of the existence of slavery and the long experience of black people in America. They realized they could kind of mimic that and try to get their own ends to the point that today you, you even have people who have various sexual desires and identities and all this kind of nonsense uh, claiming to be the new civil rights movement. And uh, th- this didn't really work when one of the arguments for affirmative action was that you need to protect these poor, aggrieved racial minorities. And then you've got a poor, aggrieved racial minority that says, wait, you're discriminating against us too, because we're Asians and we work very hard and we have high IQs and we're doing well on these tests, but we're not being allowed in while people from other racial groups who have lower test scores are being allowed in in our place because of racial favoritism in the in the schools. Okay, so you get it. This case overrules a previous case, Grutter v. Bollinger. This was a, a case that was decided 23 years ago, I think it was. I think it was a 2003 case. And at the time that Grutter was decided, which upheld affirmative action in college admissions, Sandra Day O'Connor, the nominally conservative Republican appointed justice who often sided with the libs, she said, we expect that 25 years from now, the use of racial preferences will no longer be necessary. So already built in to the upholding of affirmative action was this idea that it's going to be time limited. And where do you get that principle from in the Constitution? You don't. And it was just the Supreme Court with the libs and the squish conservatives shooting from the hip. But now we're almost exactly 25 years later and the court says, okay, time's up. It wasn't just Sandra Day O'Connor who, though a squish, was still appointed by a Republican, by Ronald Reagan, but it was even the libs. It was even the liberal icons. You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg at the time of Grutter v. Bollinger upholding affirmative action, she still said that it can't be used forever, but it's useful for the time being to give us the racial outcomes that we want in society. Uh, Justice Thomas at the time made a really important point that that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, but it it shows you why these schools are so insistent on upholding affirmative action. They were insistent on it, not just because they're liberal ideologues and they hate white people and they want to help other racial groups get an unfair advantage over white people or whatever. It's also because these schools want to maintain their prestige and they recognize that as racial diversity and inclusion and equity and whatever, all the rest of these ideologies become important in American life, that in order to continue to train the elite, the people who inevitably will become part of the elite, such so long as this ideology predominates, they need to bring in more people of these racial groups that are not doing as well on the tests. And if test scores are the only thing that matter, are, are not going to be admitted to the college in very high numbers. So they're trying to maintain their prestige and their hold on American public life. Thomas went even further, Clarence Thomas in the, in the Grutter case, and he said that the schools have to pick high standards or diversity. That's that. If they're going to exalt high standards, then they need to stop playing favorites with the races. If they're going to exalt racial diversity or whatever, sexual diversity or all the other kinds of diversity for diversity's sake, then they need to stop pretending that they're, they're valuing high standards. It's one or the other. They're mutually opposed here because even if you say, well, there, obviously there are plenty of black people who do very well on tests and who 
uh, will do very well in these schools. I mean, just Justice Thomas would be a great example of this. It's about the principle that you're enshrining. Is college admissions primarily about high standards or is it primarily about diversity and ideology? So today, the Supreme Court says affirmative action gone in college admissions. And don't forget the Supreme Court reads the polls, Supreme Court reads the newspapers, and a majority of Americans, 62%, overwhelmingly, not just Republicans, not just white people, but a wide smattering of American people oppose race-based college admissions because they all know it seems really, really unfair. So now we've got the opinion, we got the dissent, we've got two dueling opinions in the case, one opinion, one dissent from the two black members of the Supreme Court offering very different visions of race and affirmative action and the Constitution, which we'll get to in one second. First, though, before I talk to you about that, I need to talk to you about talking to your friends and your family, which is why you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, head on over to puretalk.com slash Knowles. I am a very discerning partner, okay, in my love life, in my social life, in my professional life. I'm discerning about the partners that I choose and a company that I'm proud to stand behind, because that company is proud to stand behind us and our country and offers a great service, is PureTalk, veteran-owned with a 100% American workforce. They share our beliefs. That is why PureTalk is the official cell phone wireless partner of The Daily Wire. But that's not the only reason. PureTalk also happens to be the most dependable 5G network in the U.S. They're a top-tier provider at a fraction of the cost of those other woke companies that don't care about you or your beliefs. Mix and match your plans to fit every person in your family. Choose from talk, text, and 5G data for just 20 bucks a month, all the way up to unlimited data with a mobile hotspot for $55 a month. You vote with how you spend your money, so stop supporting woke wireless companies that do not support you. Instead, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. You'll get great coverage and save while you're doing it. puretalk.com slash Knowles. Save an additional 50% off your first month because they value you. puretalk.com slash Knowles. Pure Talk, wireless for Americans by Americans. The libs love Justice Katanji Jackson. She's the new one. She's the Biden appointee. And Katanji Jackson, she's feisty. They like her because she's a woman. They like her because she's black. They like her for all these kind of more superficial, skin-deep reasons, sexual reasons. And they like her because she's extremely radical. She didn't know what a woman was. She couldn't define a woman at her confirmation hearings. So I didn't have very high hopes for her dissent in this case. And my low expectations were proven correct. Here's what she wrote. And this is, this is the part portion of Katanji Jackson's dissent that all the libs are sharing around. They say, quote, with let them eat cake obliviousness. Today, the majority pulls the ripcord and announces colorblindness for all by legal fiat, but deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. And having so detached itself from this country's actual past and present experiences, the court has now been lured into interfering with the crucial work that UNC and other institutions of higher learning are doing to solve America's real world problems. No one benefits from ignorance. Although formal race-linked legal barriers are gone, race still matters to the lived experiences. I mean, it's just a blah, 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 lived experience, you know. It's basically, my friend Spencer Clavin pointed this out. He's like, going in here, the students bringing the case and the group bringing the case on behalf of the students saying, hey, we don't want to be discriminated against just because we're Asian or white. They had the law on their side. They had philosophy on their side. They had morality on their side. They had the opinion of the conservative judges on their side. They had the opinion of very prominent liberal judges on their side. They had, they had a pretty good case. And on the, on the pro-race discrimination side of this case, they had 
Diversity is our strength. The lived experiences of the racial oppression. And, the, and it's just that didn't, that was not a legally persuasive view. And it hasn't persuaded the majority of the American people. The funniest part of, of Justice Jackson's very silly dissent is that first line of, of this section. Let them eat cake obliviousness. Because what that term does is reveals Justice Jackson's obliviousness. We know she's oblivious. She doesn't know what a woman is. But she's also oblivious to history. Because that phrase, let them eat cake, is a phrase attributed to Marie Antoinette. When, when Marie Antoinette supposedly was told that the peasants didn't have bread to eat, she said, let them eat cake, let them eat brioche. But that, it's a total fabrication. It was made up. The line actually predates Marie Antoinette. No great princess said it. It's just fake. It's just total fake news. And the libs fall into their fake news all the time. And they are oblivious to history and biology and philosophy and the law, apparently. And so it's over. What does Justice Thomas say in response to this? He answers Jackson. He says, accordingly, Justice Jackson's race-infused worldview falls flat at each step. Individuals are the sum of their unique experiences, challenges, and accomplishments. What matters is not the barriers they face, but how they choose to confront them. And their race is not to blame for everything, good or bad, that happens in their lives. A contrary, myopic worldview based on individual skin color to the total exclusion of their personal choices is nothing short of racial determinism. So true. Two different visions of race. One conservative from Justice Thomas, one liberal from Justice Jackson. Thomas is a Catholic. You can, you can just tell this in his writing, in the way he speaks. Uh, Justice Thomas has the Christian view here, specifically a very Catholic view of the world. Justice Jackson, again, her religion is just racial grievance and liberalism and whining and pride. Thomas's hard work, humility, gratitude, Jackson's envy, resentment, pride, anger, wrath, all the stuff we associate with the libs. And as has happened now a couple times from the Supreme Court recently, and what happens rarely in our political life, the good side won. Really, really great stuff. Speaking of freedom, a big debate has broken out over whether Elon Musk should ban the word cis, C-I-S, from Twitter. And it's still raging. I mentioned this on the show a few days ago, but it's still raging. And uh, Brad Palumbo, my uh, debate partner from the University of Pittsburgh, and Brad pinch hit after uh, the uh, transgender identifying professor that I was supposed to debate on issues of gender and sex dropped out at the last minute because he felt that he couldn't do the debate. So Brad comes in and uh, Brad is a, a self-described libertarian. And he says, Elon Musk is the worst free speech hero ever. And uh, that's because you should be able to say anything on Twitter. And if you don't, this is absolutely terrible. And of course, Brad is wrong here. And I wrote a book about how uh, what Elon is doing is fabulous. The book is called Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Wines, number, number one national bestseller. Thank you very much. This is one of the most encouraging things that Elon has done because it shows a sophistication, not just a sophomoric, very elementary vision of politics that is based on modern, incoherent ideologies that have never been put into practice effectively anywhere in the world throughout all of human history. But he's recognizing that there's nuance here. We support free speech, but when we support free speech, we're, we're supporting a, a tradition, not something in the abstract floating in outer space, but a real tradition with exclusions, exclusions like threats, like obscenity, like fighting words, like fraud, like all of these sorts of things. And uh, I'm, I, Elon is a great figure in technology and business. But a lot of guys, when they dip their toes 
from their areas of expertise into politics, they sometimes demonstrate a great deal of ignorance. Elon here, I think, is demonstrating a lot of sophistication. And you see it actually in the case of the affirmative action decision. The whole thing is about standards. And the affirmative action case asks, what kind of standards are we going to have in this country? And so far, what the judges are saying now is we're going to have something closer to a meritocracy. And before that, on affirmative action, you were going to have something closer to a racial hierarchy with black people and Native Americans, and I don't know, at the top of it, and then maybe uh, Hispanics, they go a little bit lower, and then Asians and white people at the bottom. And if you're a member of a favored race, you get special treatment. And if you're a member of a disfavored race, you're the scum of the earth, and, and you're going to be discriminated against. That was the view that predominated for the last many decades, you know, four or five decades, maybe six decades now, I guess. Uh, now, what happened before that? A lot of conservatives want to be a little simplistic about this and say, well, before affirmative action, you just had a pure meritocracy. But that's not quite true. And we don't have, just have quite a pure meritocracy now because there are other factors at play. There is legacy admissions. Legacy admissions don't favor the highest test scores. They favor people with a tie to the university. The pure meritocrats say we need to get rid of legacy admissions, but that's not a conservative point of view. You want some continuity. You want people to say, no, my family has had a connection to this institution, not just a college, but maybe a church, maybe a neighborhood, maybe a community organization, maybe maybe a, maybe a Senate seat, for goodness sakes. You know, Tradition and continuity and uh, the kind of experience that you don't just learn out of a textbook or learn on your own for the first time, but that is imbued into you and your family from birth, that's a pretty conservative thing. We like tradition. We like, we like things outside of pure rationalistic book learning. Okay, there's that. There is the essay. And the college essay is supposed to figure out how well you think and how well you write. But that personal statement also says something about who you are, what your experiences are. Probably now the people who do want to discriminate against white people uh, in college admissions, they will just increase the importance of the personal essay and they will use that as a way to say, okay, if the, if the person I indicates that he is not white, then we'll give him a little bit more of, of an advantage here. Um, so that's, that's not just a pure meritocracy. And b- before affirmative action, that, that's certainly true. There were inherited privileges uh, obviously there was a, a different kind of racial discrimination in the country and all sorts of other, all sorts of other little prejudices and all sorts of other little ineffable complications of life that made things a little bit different. At the founding of the country, uh, my friend Sir Rabbi Mari pointed this out on Twitter just yesterday, the Jeffersonian ideal, which you might say was a pure meritocracy, wasn't quite a pure meritocracy. It was this idea that you'd have a lot of yeoman farmers, that you'd have a lot of people who had their own property and their own land, but not grand estates, just, you know, relatively uh, more modest, Republican, lowercase r, types of land. So there are all these different views and different standards. And, And I think we just need to be aware of that all the time, because we can fall into the same trap of saying, no, the absolutely, totally, purely objective neutral standard is meritocracy. Now, that's not really totally neutral either. That's an ideology too. The totally, absolutely free, unregulated free market, that's the neutral thing. No, that, that's a standard too. And some people might object to that standard. So we need to be a little bit more forthright about it. This is a big step in the right direction. We need to be even clearer moving forward. 
There's, this is such big news. I had a lot of other things that I really wanted to get to today, but we've got a lot to do. We've got Fake Headline Friday. We've got the mailbag that we have to get to. I guess the, the only, I'm going to give you a little tease, and maybe we'll try to get to it next week. Apparently, Joe Biden is open to psychedelics, which you might think Joe Biden's psychiatric condition right now couldn't possibly get any worse, so maybe taking a bunch of hallucinogenic drugs could, it might not improve things, but it might not make them worse. But apparently, according to Joe Biden's brother, Joe is open to psychedelics. So I'll leave you for the 4th of July weekend on that, that image of Joe just tripping out on shrooms and LSD. Maybe we'll get to it next week. Uh, first, as you're grilling out this weekend, though, you got to make sure that propane tank is full. That's why you got to check out Cinch. Right now, go to cinch.com. Use promo code Knowles. 4th of July is upon us with many wonderful family gatherings popping up. The last thing that you need when hosting your family is turning on the grill and being out of propane, that would be terrible. That's where our friends at Cinch come in. Cinch is a propane grill tank home delivery service. They deliver propane tanks right to your door on your schedule. They do not require any long-term commitment or subscription. Plus, delivery is completely contactless. You don't have to wait around at home. Track the order on the Cinch app from anywhere. The perfect summer night would not be complete without Cinch. Go online to cinch.com or download the Cinch app to order New customers can get their first tank exchange for just 10 bucks with promo code Knowles. Cinch.com or download the Cinch app. Use promo code Knowles to get your first tank exchange for just 10 bucks. This is a limited time offer. You must live within a Cinch service area to redeem it. Visit Cinch.com right now slash offer for details and make sure that you sign up. Summer is here, baby. It's the 4th of July. Do not even have to think about your propane tank. Cinch.com, promo code Knowles. We're doing something a little different today, folks. I usually just reserve this for the creme de la creme, the beurre de la beurre. But you may have noticed over the last week or so, there were more restrictions imposed on this show uh, on one of the big tech platforms. And so I, I'm not going to change really what I'm saying. I'm not going to censor myself. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to do any of that. So we're just going to have to take out little parts of the show uh, in order to not have the whole channel completely nuked and the episodes fully removed. And we're trying to be innocent as a serpent and, sorry, we're trying to be innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. You don't want to be innocent as a serpent and wise as a dove. That's probably the worst of all worlds. Uh, but if you want the full show, then you got to go head on over and join the Daily Wire, Daily Wire Plus, become a member of the creme de la creme, the inner circle, the beurre de la beurre. Uh, you can also get the show right now in total on uh, Twitter at M. Knowles Show. So one of the things we do for the creme de la creme is a fake headline Friday where the oh yeah we have a stinger that I always forget so it plays I just talk Mr. Davies just to irritate me he still hits that stinger even though I'm always going to miss it so Mr. Davies finds all these articles most of them are real headlines one of them is a fake headline that he made up I have to guess with your help and with the help of the membroom segmentum audience uh, the creme de la creme which one is the fake one so let's see first one up Opinion. That gas-powered car you're thinking of buying over an electric vehicle won't be as nice in 10 years when you have to explain to your grandkids it's the reason they have no clean air to breathe. There are two types of people in this world, those who only think in the moment and those who think in the future. Uh, the, the problem with this headline, of course, is if your uh, grandkids, God forbid, had no clean air to breathe, you wouldn't have to explain anything to them because we, we'd all be goners. I think that's a real headline. I think that one's true. Next one. Devil baby born with tail horns and hooves. <laughs> Of all the hideous human malformations ever heard of in the state, 
the five weeks old offspring of Charles and Sarah. Hmm. I was going to say this happened in India because sometimes India, which doesn't necessarily have the greatest uh, healthcare, uh, you'll hear of some birth defects and because of their uh, religion, which has all sorts of eccentric kind of depictions of humanity and various uh, uh, spiritual beings, uh, they'll someone will be born with a deformity and they'll this will be taken as something with deep spiritual meaning, but it's not. Charles and Sarah are not exactly Hindu names. Tail, horns, and hooves. God, goodness gracious. I can't imagine that's real, but it's so insane. I'd say maybe it's real. I'd say maybe. I took in a Ukrainian refugee to live with my wife and me and ran off with her after 10 days. We're in love. <laughs> yeah, I bet there's more to this story than just, oh, oops, I took in this really smoking hot young Ukrainian lady refugee. And oh, we just, what do you know? We just fell in love. I'd, I'd be, I want to see that guy's search history. A dad of two has run off with a Ukrainian refugee just 10 days after he and his partner welcomed her into their home. Yeah, I kind of believe that. I don't know. Wouldn't be surprised. All is fair in love and war, I guess. No, no, I don't really totally buy that. Palestinians say London's Big Ben was stolen from them. <laughs> Such lies speak to the root cause of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's hard to believe that one, uh, but it's kind of, I don't know, man, this is kind of a hard week. Say so maybe uh, cows lose their jobs as milk prices drop. As his hundred dairy cows lumbered over Monday afternoon milking, farmer Eric Foster pondered his sudden misfortune. Okay, I said this is, that, that one's real. I say that one's real. I'm going to say devil born with tail horns and hooves. I know this is weird. I'm going to say this one's real. It's just because it's just so outlandish. Uh, Opinion, the gas-powered car. I'm going to say that one is real. Two types of people in this world. Those who only think in the moment. Those who think about the future. Okay, my, this is my holdup on this one. There is a an error. Sometimes there are errors of, errors of grammar and punctuation and spelling. And this one, the capital T after the colon, that raises my eyebrows. Um, Palestinians say... so. Producer Jacob is on just a jihad uh, against the Palestinian people. And so I don't think he would include one that was ridiculous about the Palestinians if it weren't true. But this one is pretty outlandish, so I'm going to say, still leaning like kind of no. I took in a Ukrainian refugee. This one I do sort of buy. Okay, so it's between these three here. I'm going to say, I'm gonna fo- when I follow my gut on the grammar and punctuation and spelling errors, I'm often correct. So I'm going to say... It's the opinion one that's fake. But I don't, I really don't know, and I, all right, let's just see. We'll see. See what happens. Who knows? We're heading into a nice 4th of July weekend. <laughs> oh, man. There it is, baby. It, and it's a meme of Ben Shapiro on uh, memory TV, which is really quite quite funny. Uh, wow, big one by the skin of my teeth on that one. It was one capitaliza- capital- capitalization after a colon that got it. So it means that Palestinians believe that Big Ben was stolen from them. What? What does that mean? What do- I don't know what that mean. What mean? What mean, man? Ukrainian refugee, that poor wife. I kind of want to see if there's a picture of the Ukrainian lady that caused this poor schlub to leave his husband, his husband, his wife. Devil baby born with tail and hooves. Well, okay, I, well, we don't have time for me to read all of these. Now maybe I'll read them after the show. Folks, 
got great news for you. We are introducing the Precision 5 Razor one handle plus one blade cartridge kit for $14.99. That is Jeremy's lowest cost for a razor ever, and it's only for a limited time. It's crafted with a luxurious tungsten handle, five welded steel blades, and a flip-back trimmer for a close, smooth shave around hairlines and hard-to-reach places. But remember, the Precision 5 is no ordinary razor. It's a sword in the battle for beliefs, a banner to wave into a new economy, a precision instrument to force woke companies to earn back your dollar and stop denigrating your beliefs. It's also still a razor, and it will give you a great shave. The Precision 5 is starting at $14.99, With a price so low, it has never been easier to stop giving your money to woke corporations that hate you. Join over 125,000 men who have ditched their woke razors and switched to Jeremy's. There's never been a better time or price. Go to jeremysrazors.com today. My favorite comment yesterday is from Thank You Pete. Or is that Ty Pete? Whatever his name, he says, Sexy Mike, I went to the barber and got you, got my new haircut like yours. My wife says I am crazy, but I think I look fabulous. So uh, I'm honored to hear that. Thank you. Uh, I I think we do look fabulous, Pete. Um, I one time was walking in Georgetown and a guy comes up to me and says to me, hey, you don't know me, but I'm introducing myself and I just want you to know I went to the barber last week and, and showed him a picture of your hair and say that I, I want to get this haircut. I'm really honored, and I say this with humility, because this haircut, I've had this since I was six, and it's only a slight alteration on the haircut that I had previously when I was five. I've never changed my haircut since then, uh, and it's just, the, it's just the haircut that guys had in the 40s. That's all it is. There's nothing really totally different about it, and uh, you can have it too. You can have that too. Now we've finally arrived at my favorite time of the week when I get to hear from you in the mailbag, sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com. Select a plan and enter code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to get 50% off your first month. Take it away. Hello, Smokey Mike. This is Julia, your number one fangirl, and I'm sure that you've missed hearing my dulcet tones in the voice mailbag. So I was having a conversation with my brother the other day. His name is also Michael. And... I had told him that while I'd never do these things, I had a morbid curiosity for tarot and uh, Reiki and all that witchy stuff. Uh, Michael had commented that he had a similar morbid curiosity, but more for the psychedelics. He also noted that a lot of his female friends tend to be into the fortune-telling witchy side of that, and his male friends tended to also have a morbid curiosity for psychedelics. So my, my two questions to you are, one, do you think that these things are two sides of the same coin? And number two, do you think that maybe one has a more feminine side to it and the other has a more masculine side to it? Thanks. Love to hear your answer. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that. I think that psychedelics are very bad things to do because they open up spiritual portals that are really not great. And this is the reason that the libs today promote psychedelics, as they say, no, man, it just puts you at one in, in, in touch with the universe, man. It really helped me overcome, you know, some bad stuff, man. And I know, and I'm sure many people do think that it has, it has helped them. And I do think that it puts you in touch with all sorts of different entities. But I don't think they're great entities. And if you want to hear more about this, you can listen to my interview with a guy who had taken a lot of psychedelics and what he felt that did to him. I have friends who've taken psychedelics, and I had a friend. He told me, he said, you know, one thing I love about this particular psychedelic I took is it just, it showed me, man, I was just worried about so much stuff I don't need to be worried about, you know? I was, I was really worried about, like, sin. 
I had all this guilt, you know, I just got rid of that. I'm not worried about hell anymore. I'm not worried about sin. And his uh, family broke down. He left his family. Shortly thereafter, it, it, it happens, you know. It's, it's not, uh, it's not good. It's, I don't want to seem like I'm saying that everything is demons. There's a demon under every rock. But there are demons who crouch about seeking the ruin of souls, prowling all over the world. And psychedelics seem even to be referenced in ancient literature and in the book of Enoch, for instance, the book of Enoch, which is referred to in the Bible, but it's not a canonical book of the Bible. It's a kind of mysterious old book. Uh, it, it talks about how the demons came down and, and taught man how to use roots, you know, and use different kind of plants and things like that, which I, seems, seems to be a reference to psychedelics. So that's true. And why do men like the drugs while women like the weird astrology stuff? Because men are a little more reckless, especially when it comes to their bodies than women are. Men are more likely to take risks with their bodies, you know, jump out of an airplane, drive really fast and uh, uh, do drugs, drink too much. Uh, women, women delve more into other kinds of temptations, you know, gossip, astrology, complaining, all these things. They're a little, they're just, I'm not saying women sin more than men or men sin more than women. We just are tempted toward different vices. Next one. Hey, Dirty Mike, Mr. Reality again. Uh, I wanted to ask you about lobotomies and trans surgeries. Do you think that trans surgeries are our generation's version of lobotomies? They seem to have a lot in common when I look at them both. They're both uh, ghoulish surgery. They're both pioneered and expanded by crackpot doctors with the apparent full endorsement of the medical community. They both cause permanent harm to individuals. They're both used to treat mental illnesses, and the vast majority of people who get them aren't helped or are made worse off. So my question is, do you think they're almost uh, sister procedures in a way, and do you think that the trans surgeries will go the way of the lobotomies where eventually everyone will realize it was a terrible idea, or do you see it going somewhere else? Thanks. Yeah, people already realize that they're a terrible idea. And the New York Times just reported on this. The New York Times was citing a new study that just came out about the, the transgender phenomenon and how it might not be conducive to human flourishing. The majority of people, uh, and, in the, and an increasing vast majority of people, don't believe in transgenderism. So pe- people realize this. And yeah, I think the, the comparison is, is apt. Uh, but then there will just be some other kooky thing that people do. You know, we, we have this idea, I mean, we don't. If you're listening to this show, you probably don't have this idea, but a lot of people do today that in the present, we've basically figured everything out and science is really good and we're not superstitious and mistaken like those old benighted people in the past. We're really smart and modern and we have science, so we get it, but we don't. It's all the same. It's just witch doctory. It's just, it's just shamanism all the way down. <laughs> And science is mostly fake, and it's it's a realm of applicability is extraordinarily narrow, and we still don't even do that all that well in in many cases. For instance, we know very very little about the brain, um, and we know even less less than perhaps we've ever known about about human nature and the relation between body and spirit and mind and brain. You know, the physical and the metaphysical, and what. A human is, and what a man is, and what a woman is, and so yeah, yeah, we're 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 engaging in extraordinarily harmful medical practices now, and then once we figure that out, who knows when when that will be put into practice where we can actually ban these things? Then they'll find some other stupid thing to do. 
So that's because it's a fallen world, and that's how it works. Next one. Hey, Michael. Alex here with a mailbag question for you. Love the show. Regular watcher slash listener. Anyway, uh, I have to actually have two questions. One, so you had mentioned multiple times that RFK on your podcast is uh, very anti-Second Amendment. Um, I, upon research, that isn't true. Uh, his latest comments about that is that he is for the Second Amendment. He is for uh, all, all Second Amendment rights, and he's also for strong borders and whatnot. So is there something that you know that we don't? And then my second question is, in regards to the transgender laws that multiple states are putting into place, banning transgender surgeries for minors, banning puberty blockers, whatnot. Multiple rogue judges have been blocking these laws, claiming they're quote-unquote unconstitutional. So as conservatives, how do we get past that? How do we get past the doom and gloom of you pass these laws, states' laws, which are great, but then they're shut down by rogue uh, far-left judges? So love the show, Michael. Thanks. Okay, I'll take the questions in order. I'm glad that RFK has changed his tune on a number of political issues, uh, but it's a change of tune. He, RFK Jr. has been a liberal Democrat for his entire life. He's a Kennedy. And I know that now we look at the Kennedys on the right and we say, oh, Jack Kennedy might have been a Republican had he been alive today, which I don't think is true. Uh, but we say, look, wow, the, he was so much more reasonable than the modern Democrats, which, which is true. But that's just because he was living in his time, and ideas have consequences, and political movements follow those ideas to their logical conclusions. And uh, Bobby Kennedy is a, has been a liberal Democrat for his life. I think he now sees that, one, the corruption of the political establishment is perhaps even worse than he previously suspected. The way that he has been attacked by that establishment for raising questions about vaccines now for like 15 years uh, has probably uh, cemented that view. And after COVID, a lot of conservatives became skeptical of vaccines in the medical establishment. So that attracted conservatives to Bobby Kennedy Jr. And Bobby Kennedy now realizes that his most ardent fans are not on the left, they're on the right. And so he, a politician from one of the most famous political families in the country, is probably either playing up to that audience a little bit more or m sincerely moving more toward their side of the political spectrum. So great. I'm glad that he's changing on that. But but you know, you, you can see, you can read his past comments on these issues. Uh, this does represent a change. As for the judges striking down good laws and perfectly just laws, it's very, very frustrating. So what we have to do is just keep pushing again and again and again. How many times was Roe versus Wade uh, upheld? Well, it was most famously upheld in Planned Parenthood v. Casey. But how many times did lower court judges uh, refer to Roe v. Wade as the settled law of the land. How many times did legal challenges to Roe v. Wade fail and reach a dead end? It just went on and on and on for 49 years, for half a century. The, the courts insisted, no, you're, you don't get to pass your pro-life laws. No, you don't get to challenge Roe v. Wade. And then through amazing circumstance, through Antonin Scalia going to his eternal reward unexpectedly, followed by an improbable his world historical figure, presidential candidate, winning the election when the geniuses told us 99% chance he'd lose, and then appointing three judges, and Mitch McConnell holding Scalia's seat open until you potentially got a Republican president, then Trump appoints three judges, and then the three judges worked to overrule Roe v. Wade. We were prepared, and then opportunity came, and we were able to 
effect what we wanted, albeit 49 years later. And I think you're going to see that with the trans issue too. You just got to keep chipping away. You got to play, you just got to play a game of determination and keep up that moral clarity and courage and keep up the fight. Next question. Hi, Michael. I'm hoping you can provide me with some advice on women. I'm 26 years old and I've never had a girlfriend. I'm not really sure how to strike up a conversation, approach women, or even really a good place to meet them. I have a pretty good job. I go to church and my life is fairly well put together. So I'm not a total loser. But especially over the past few years, I've been struggling with loneliness and was hoping you could help me out here. Thank you. Pal, really sorry to hear about that. I, it, it really pains me when I hear about people being lonely. It pains me more than almost any other issue I think of. It's not the most egregious thing. First of all, everybody's lonely sometimes. Uh, and it's, it's not worse than, say, you know, being murdered or raped or, you know, I mean, there, there are many things that are worse objectively than being lonely. But being lonely just really feels awful. And it pains me when I think of friends and family of mine who have felt lonely at different times. It just, it's, it really, really pains me. And what's bizarre about the time we're living in is that loneliness is something that many, many people seem to be doing more than in, in the past. You think that if everybody's doing something, you wouldn't be lonely. <laughs> you guess when you're lonely, you're the only one doing it. But, but people are just so isolated and so alienated that you might take some comfort in that loneliness is a group activity these days. Uh, how do you overcome that? Well, just, here's just a little quick little tip. This is not a real long-term answer to your, when you're feeling really, really lonely. Crack open a book. Crack open a good book. Reading a book, a good book, is the only activity that you can do alone that will make you feel less lonely. But that's just, that's just a Tylenol. You know, that's just a little Band-Aid. How do you fix the loneliness problem generally? And specifically for you, you don't have a girlfriend or a wife. Uh, well, I would reach out to your family. Say, hey, can you introduce me to somebody? Because you're not really alone. You got some family, presumably, and let's say your family's all dead, God forbid. Well, you have a job, right? You have coworkers. Do you ever talk to your coworkers? Maybe you don't. Some people don't talk to you, but I bet you talk to them a little bit where I say good morning or something like that. Maybe you strike up a conversation with a coworker. Maybe it's a dude. I'm not suggesting that you, you know, lighten up those loafers. I'm suggesting though that any real human connection can lead to, to being able to meet a woman. And you say, hey, you know, I'm looking for a girlfriend. <laughs> Basically, you know any cute girls around here? Do you know any? Hey, does your, hey, your wife, you know, does she have a cousin? Does she have this, that, or the other thing? You know, it's kind of like the more you work, the more you work. People think that, uh, you know, the way to have a great career is to just wait for the perfect career to come along. But anyone who's ever had a great career knows that the way you, that you get it is you just work all the time. Well, it's the same thing for social life. The way that you make really great friends is you just hang out with people, you know, and you just strike up conversations in the elevator, you know. You just talk to your coworkers. You smile a little bit and you, you ask how people are doing. You're genuinely interested in people and that, that will do it. I've been really blessed. I, I've had, had a great love life and romantic life and marriage life. And I've had great friendships too, but it's, it's exceedingly rare these days. And friendship, I think, is rarer even than romance uh, because we denigrate that now and we say that love is love. You know, we say that all love just has to be romantic or erotic love rather than f filial love, you know, rather than um, the love of God or all of these things. So you're not alone in dealing with this problem, but I, my, my solution for you would, would be 
to throw spaghetti at the wall. Surely you have some family member somewhere, or surely you've got some coworker somewhere, or surely you sit next to someone in the church, and maybe you don't make conversation all the time. Well, just make conversation. Say, well, wasn't that a lovely hymn? And make, oh, what a beautiful day it is. You know, any ordinary icebreaker, small talk kind of language. You might think it sounds silly because no one likes small talk, but the point of small talk is not to talk about the weather. No one cares about the weather. The, the point of small talk is to make a human connection, and you can do it. You say you're around people, well, talk to them. All right, we've got the written mailbag coming up. Oh, no, we don't because we, oh, my goodness, this is so, so devastating. We have no member block today. Oh, and I've, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to go over then because I have one, one mailbag that I want to get to. This is from David. He says, I've never seen anyone make ukulele seem as fun as you do. Thank you very much. Kind of an old dog, but I'm interested now. How would you recommend going about learning to play the ukulele? What kind, of, what kind would you suggest to start out? Should I just grab a $40 instrument off of Amazon and start strumming? Thanks for all that you do. Yes, the ukulele is my favorite instrument, probably. It's the most fun instrument four strings. It's very, very easy. The standard tuning is G starting at, not at the top. It's kind of confusing because when we say the top of an instrument, we're talking about the high notes, but the high notes are on the physically on the bottom of the instrument. But anyway, starting out as you would strum it down, it's G, high, higher G, then lower down to a C, then E, then A. There we go. I've just taught you how to tune your ukulele. You pull it up on YouTube. How to play You Are My Sunshine. How to play you pull up some of my videos. I've done some arrangements of little uke tunes. You can just pull them up on Instagram, just mimic what I'm doing. Pull up little chords, learn your chords. It's, it's easier even than guitar, and guitar is a relatively easy instrument to learn. I wouldn't spend 40 bucks. I'd spend like 60 bucks. You can get Cordova, Cordova instruments are pretty, pretty good for beginner ukes. The soprano one is the classic uke sound. It's a little bit small. Uh, the concert ukulele is a little bit bigger. Probably a little easier to learn how to fret, though not doesn't have quite have that fun, like, you know, hot, bright, jangly uh, ukulele sound. Um, I had an Oscar Schmidt, I still have it, an Oscar Schmidt by Washburn ukulele, which is relatively quite inexpensive. I paid 60 bucks for it 15 years ago, more than 15 years ago now. Um, goodness great, like 21 years ago, probably I got it. Anyway, you can get these things. You can get really expensive ukes too, but get, get a cheap one, you know, $100 uke, $60 uke, and uh, pull up some YouTube videos and start playing it. You will you will not regret it. No one's too old and no one's too musically talentless to learn the ukulele. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you next time.